Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 75, No Other Name. So I could have titled this episode, Restore. But Restore is a strong contender for what Nephi's message here is in 2 Nephi chapter 25, and we're just going to focus on verses 10 through 20 this week. In this chapter, Nephi is speaking to two groups of people. He addresses the Jews in Jerusalem, and then he addresses the seed of Lehi. So verses 10 through 20 are his message to the Jews in Jerusalem. And what is his main message? Restore. Whether it's the restoration of their beloved Jerusalem, the restoration of Jesus' life, the restoration that he will bring to us through his atonement, the restoration of his scattered people, or the restoration of his gospel, there is no other name given under heaven that could do all of it, then his name, Jesus Christ. We've heard before about the destruction of Jerusalem. And when Nephi is writing these words down, Jerusalem has already been destroyed, like his father prophesied it would be, and the event has been revealed to Lehi's seed of having already been accomplished. And the people who had been in Jerusalem had either been destroyed or had been carried away captive to Babylon. And here in verse 11, Nephi acknowledges that the spirit which is in him teaches that the Jews will return again and possess the land of Jerusalem. They shall be restored again to the land of their inheritance. The God of second chances will give his children another chance. He will restore them to their lands and they will rebuild. But peace will not reign. Wars and rumors of war will be their background music. And Nephi prophesies this. In verse 12, Nephi, without hesitancy or doubt, testifies of the role of Jesus Christ by addressing him as the only begotten of the Father and also the Father of heaven and earth. That is who will come and walk among the Jews of Jerusalem the only begotten of the Father, and the Father of heaven and earth. And reading it from a reader's point of view, who received this thousands of years after the life of Jesus Christ took place, Nephi provides you and I with the enlightenment and the clarity of Jesus Christ's divinity. That is the beauty of the Book of Mormon. That is what the Book of Mormon provides for you and I, and I think what we sometimes take for granted. The Book of Mormon is a clear witness of who this Jesus was. With no reserve ever, the Book of Mormon prophesies and professes him to be our Redeemer, our Restorer. And that Jesus who walked the shores of Galilee, traveled the dusty roads to Jerusalem to worship, who taught on the mount and who administered to the one was the father of heaven and of earth. Let that sink in. But 
he was rejected. He will be rejected by the Jews, Nephi says, because of their iniquity, the hardness of their hearts, and the stiffness of their necks. We must beware to not find joy or satisfaction or bragging rights in any of these areas. And despite their crucifying him and laying his body in a sepulcher for three days, plenty of time for the assurance of someone's death, he will rise from the dead. Again, a restoration of life, a restoration of body and soul, a restoration of power over death, which life will have because of him. No other name under heaven could do this. But this isn't all that he'll restore. When he rises from the dead, he will rise with healing in his wings. And all those who shall believe on his name shall be saved in the kingdom of God. He will have the power to restore us from our fallen state. With healing in his wings, Nephi says, he can restore us and he can make us whole. He can heal us from our infirmities, make our losses our gains, and reunite us once again with Father. No other name can do that. And it is his name, Jesus Christ, that Nephi was a witness of. Nephi said, My soul delighteth to prophesy concerning him, for I have seen his day, and my heart doth magnify his holy name. And I love that imagery that Nephi's heart magnifies Jesus' holy name. Nephi never hesitates to sing the praises of Jesus Christ. He looked for every opportunity to intensify the significance of the Savior. And I imagine Nephi sought out every possibility he could find to enlarge in the hearts of his people the Savior's rightful place. So how can I better glorify him? How can I weed out this insignificant in my life so that I can make room for the significance of Jesus? How can I give him even more residence in my heart? How can I magnify his name, praise him, intensify his influence in my life, enlarge his presence with me? This too is a restoring process, restoring my loyalties, restoring my love, putting the distractions of the world in its rightful place and magnifying Jesus Christ and his impact on me. Many of the Jews in Jerusalem will have missed their chance to have done this while he resided in the flesh among them. But those that did magnify his name, like Nephi, and who believed on his name, would have an opportunity to see him after he had risen. And I like the wording that Nephi uses. And behold, it shall come to pass that after the Messiah hath risen from the dead and hath manifested himself unto his people, unto as many as will believe on his name. Don't you like that? As many as believed on his name. That says to me, 
that he would show up for them. Such a simple promise and such a simple attribute of the saviors that we could easily miss as we're reading along. But I believe that this will change your heart and give fuel to your faith if you grasp onto it and ponder it. As many as will believe on his name, believe on his name and he will manifest himself unto you. In his way, he will show up for you and he'll do this for all those who will believe on his name. And after he does manifest himself to those that had believed and walked with him, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed again. It makes sense, though. The Spirit of God cannot reside among them and protect them from outside forces and even from themselves if they reject his Son, which they did, which they also rejected and fought against his people and his church. And like Isaiah prophesied, and Nephi reiterates here in case we missed it, they will be scattered among all nations. Yea, and also Babylon shall be destroyed. Wherefore, the Jews shall be scattered by other nations. And they will experience great afflictions for many generations. But the God of second, third, and fourth chances, the God of infinite chances... Because his atonement is infinite, will not give up on his people. And this is where I think you can insert Isaiah's messianic message, my hand is outstretched still. It is easy to believe that the difficult experiences that we experience can only be a detriment to us personally, that no good can come out of heart. But this isn't the way the Lord works. When we don't learn one way, he will give us another. And if I'm understanding verse 16, the scourging and the affliction that his people will receive will eventually be for their benefit. They will experience this hardship until they shall be persuaded to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the atonement, which is infinite for all mankind. There is no other name given under heaven, save it be Jesus Christ, that can make all of that work to their good. There is no other name that can provide an infinite atonement. Not Abraham, not Israel, not even Moses could provide that for the Jews in Jerusalem or for us. Even Moses, whom the Bible dictionary proclaims to be one of the greatest men, his law was finite. I love this excerpt from President Russell M. Nelson. It says, In preparatory times of the Old Testament, the practice of the atonement was finite, meaning it had an end. It was a symbolic forecast of the definitive atonement of Jesus the Christ. His atonement is infinite, without end. It was also infinite in that all humankind would be saved from never-ending death. It was infinite in terms of his immense suffering. It was infinite in time, putting an end to the preceding prototype of animal sacrifices. It was infinite in scope. It was to be done once and for all. 
And the mercy of the atonement extends not only to an infinite number of people, but also to an infinite number of worlds created by him. It was infinite beyond any human scale of measurement or mortal comprehension. Jesus was the only one who could offer such an infinite atonement since he was born of a mortal mother and an immortal father. Because of that unique birthright, Jesus was an infinite being. Close quote. <laughs> Isn't that quote so cool? That's why I didn't even want to attempt to compete with it. What the Savior offers us is restoration, but what he requires of us is found in verse 16. He requires us to believe in him, to worship the Father in his name, to do so with pure hearts and clean hands, and to not look for any other Messiah. Nephi warns that anyone else would be a false Messiah that would deceive the people because there is only one who can save us. For a moment, I'd like to focus on the requirement, pure hearts and clean hands. Elder David A. Bednar gave a conference talk in October of 2007 titled Clean Hands and Pure Hearts. And once again, I don't want to compete with the pure doctrine that this apostle gave to us. I'll begin where he warns us that it is possible for us to have clean hands, but not a pure heart. And I thought since we're in need of both, I was curious to his instruction to us. So he says, let me suggest that hands are made clean through the process of putting off the natural man and by overcoming sin and the evil influences in our lives through the Savior's atonement. Hearts are purified as we receive his strengthening power to do good and to become better. All of our worthy desires and good works, as necessary as they are, can never produce clean hands and a pure heart. It is the atonement of Jesus Christ that provides both a cleansing and also a redeeming power that helps us to overcome sin and a sanctifying and a strengthening power that helps us to become better than we ever could be by relying only upon our own strength. The infinite atonement is for both the sinner and for the saint in each of us. Oh man, I love the image that this quote brings to my mind. And as I reflect on me personally, I'm trying my best to lean on him. I have improvements to make, but I know I'm trying. And I'm striving to use his atonement so that I can be clean and pure. Which is the journey that we've all signed up to engage in when we made baptismal covenants. But it's good for me to realize I'm not doing this with my own power. He doesn't ask me to do all the work myself to qualify, but he asks me to try, and through my trying, he is lifting, guiding, making me capable to qualify all along the way. And while his atonement does clean my hands, the continual process of learning and doing better with the help of his power, that is what is purifying my heart. He knows that I am such a toddler in my efforts, and I, I appreciate his mercy 
and grace as a parent, that he'll catch me when I fall, and that he'll hold my hands as I take my first steps. And in regards to the Jews of Jerusalem, can you comprehend the mercy he is willing to show them? If they believe on his name, if they worship the Father in his name, and clean their hands and purify their hearts through his atonement, which he provides for them, he will restore them. Do we treat those who have rejected us as good as he treats those who have rejected him? He doesn't just stop there, though. He blows my, he blows my mind. He goes further to restore his children. In verse 17, he will set his hand again a second time to restore his people from their lost and fallen state. Wherefore, he will proceed to do a marvelous work and a wonder among the children of men. And there it is, a marvelous work and a wonder. Do you remember what we're to recall when we read that phrasing? It is the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will bring forth his words. These words will judge them at the last day. These words will convince them of the true Messiah, the one they had originally rejected. These words are the words that are contained in the Book of Mormon that we have been commanded to read, that we love reading. And why do we love it? Because it is true that these words do convince us that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That is the powerful feeling we experience when we read this book. He is the one who will restore us and make everything whole and right again. He is the one that will restore the power to us that we lost because of our mistakes and our moments of confusion and deception. He is the God of second, third, fourth, and infinite chances. He is the God that can take our our good efforts and make them work in our behalf by cleansing us and righting us, by changing our very natures so that what we crave is goodness and what we abhor is wickedness. Like Nephi said, He is the Lord God that brought Israel up out of the land of Egypt. He is the Lord God who gave Moses power to heal the nations after they were bit by the poisonous serpents. Healing, or in other words, restoration, was theirs if they would just cast their eyes unto the serpent which Moses did raise up before them. He is the Lord God that replenished the children of Israel with water from a rock that Moses hit, and the water came forth. He is Jesus Christ, who the angel testified to Jacob would be the name of the Son of God. And there is none other name given under heaven, save it be this Jesus Christ, of which I have spoken, whereby man can be saved. Sister Scriptorians, we are blessed to be able to hear this weekend the Word of God by our prophets and apostles. I invite you to purify yourself by relying on the infinite atonement of Jesus Christ. Let Him restore you. Let Him clean your hands and purify your hearts. Let Him help you put off the natural man. There is no other name under heaven that can do this for you. Make it a great day.